3: That's ChumbaCasino.com.
2: No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Let's
4: go! This is the Lombardi Line with Michael Lombardi and Patrick Maher on vSyn. <laughs>
5: Welcome to the Lombardi Line right here on Vista and I am Dave Ross. This is presented by BetMGM. Dave Ross alongside Wes Reynolds for the next two hours here as we break down everything in the wonderful world of sports. Will Hill is going to join us later on this hour uh, talking some early NFL plays for week number 13. And Rick Dockwalker will join us in the next hour as we break down what happened last night with the Washington football team and the Seattle Seahawks as those two teams going forward. And, Wes, let's start right there with what we saw on Monday Night Football last night with the Washington football team getting a 17-15 win over the Seahawks. So, boy, this number kept moving as the week started and then, of course, ended up with the Seahawks laying two on the road. Washington gets the outright win here. The game does go well under the posted total of 46.5. And, you know, watching this game last night, you know, obviously a couple things jump out at you. One— Russell Wilson just doesn't look Mm -hmm. right. You don't have to be a medical doctor to see that. So he's winless since coming back here off the hand injury. But, two, the Washington football team, it might not be sexy, but they're figuring out ways to get wins now. And right now, as they stand in the playoff picture, they actually have the seventh seed, which would put them in the playoffs in the NFC. And I don't know what you make of Taylor Heineke, but, you know, I've been on record saying I, I thought they were starting the wrong quarterback at the beginning of the year in D.C., and we'll talk to Rick Doc Walker about that in the next hour, but are they building something there you might trust financially to start backing them? Because I thought they were a strong play last night. It got a little squirmy there at the end, but still they hold on for the win.
4: Well, this was actually a team I have for the underseason wins in Washington. It looked like it was going to be an easy cash, but now it's going to get at least a little dicey. I think part of it is the beneficiary of playing a schedule. Look, the win over Tampa Bay, that's, a good that, win. that's not a fluke. But you know, you get a Carolina team that was starting uh, Cam for the first time, right. and then you got a Seattle team, obviously with a wounded quarterback. and And I don't want to dog on Russell Wilson too much because he's obviously not physically right, and obviously his offensive line is not giving him much help. But the mantra is let Russ cook. Well, Russ is cooking like one of those contestants right now on Hell's Kitchen, oh. that you know, with Gordon Ramsay, where Gordon Ramsay is waiting to get some plates out for dinner service and. He just keeps sending up raw halibut. (laughs) And and, and that, that's kind of what he's doing right now, and uh, where Gordon almost has to give him a, a kick out of the kitchen and out of dinner service, and look, Seattle now three and eight. They're going absolutely nowhere. Our own colleague, uh, Femi Abebefe, who comes to us from Seattle, was like, you know what? This was a heck of a run for mm. this regime with Pete Carroll and with Russ and with the front office. By the way, a lot of those members of that Seattle front office that have been so successful over the previous several years are now with other teams, right. a couple of the guys in Carolina, and look, when you have success, all of a sudden, you know, you're like the assistant GM or you're the head of scouting. All of a sudden, teams, hey, I want that guy to run my organization. So now those guys depart Seattle. So you you just kind of saw it last night. Look at that. Ten first downs. Oh, they, 10 first downs last night for the Seattle Seahawks and they just they just don't have the help and and I think this is a team now that's kind of reached a little bit of the end of the road here where it's like they've got to be able to try to rebuild get some pieces around Russell Wilson see if he's interested in staying and and obviously being a part of that rebuild but yeah, Seattle just looks like a dead team. Washington, and, and, and when you look at that run for Seattle, by the way, they had eight double-digit win seasons, four division titles, two conference championships, and a Super Bowl win. Now you're getting Pete Carroll around 70 years old. Is this kind of the end of the line for Pete Carroll where it's like, okay, you know, it's a mutual parting of the way. It's like, hey, guys, I'm done, and hey, we're done with you. We need to move forward and kind of rebuild this and start from scratch here. But – look Washington now five and six uh, right in the mix and got some winnable games look all these NFC East games maybe with the exception of the Cowboys and even the Cowboys are showing some chinks in the armor the last couple weeks all of these games are winnable Washington will be right here in Las Vegas next week to take on the Raiders who Mm -hmm. all of a sudden their season that we thought might have been dead still still on at least a little bit of life support Washington does have the Cowboys twice home and home also the Eagles home and home and at the Giants so so, <laughs> It's really hard to see. Okay, which one of those teams, those three teams uh, in two, three, four in the NFC East, are going to come out and potentially be in the wild card race? Mm-hmm. It could be Washington. It could be Philadelphia. There was optimism for them going into the weekend right. before they lost in New York to the Giants.
5: Well, I, I'm with, with you there on Washington. When you look ahead for the rest of the year, that potentially this could be a playoff team with as weak as the NFC kind of looks in the bottom half of some of these teams down there. And again, when you're under 500 and, and with the uh, the way the playoffs are now set up at five and six you are right now currently in the playoffs if the season ended today I just think they're they're finding their identity and you noticed this against the Buccaneers a couple weeks ago where they had basically an eight nine minute drive to end that game and they did something similar last night Now I got again a little bit wonky at the end because they, their field goal kicker uh you know blew out his hammy it looked like they're trying to chase down the two-point conversion at the end of the first half so they had to go for it on fourth and short instead of kicking what would have been you know put the game away field goal and gave seattle life there when they didn't convert on that short fourth and goal situation but coming here to las vegas this week you mentioned the raiders how they're kind of they've salvaged their season with all the turmoil they've had how do you handicap this one on sunday when you look at these two teams here two teams who kind of rode off or dead that are both back and now still have life for the postseason.
4: Yeah, and the look-ahead line was one and a half. It's now two and a half pretty much in the market. Raiders, I think, given some credit for being beaten at least one of still the NFC's elite, even though they've struggled the last few weeks. Dallas, uh, I think there's that clear gap between that top five and then teams like Washington, I think, fall into that second group. Philadelphia, Carolina, Atlanta, who's going to emerge for those last two wild card spots. Uh, throw Minnesota in there as well. Mm-hmm. But... You know, these are kind of two teams where I almost want to go against them. Exactly. But they're playing each other because they're both off big wins. Uh, the Raiders, look, that that effort that we saw against Cincinnati was was not oh. good. They have not been a great home team this year because they've had, I don't want to call them no-shows, but obviously the game against Chicago that was ended up being John Gruden's last game here mm-hmm. in Las Vegas as Raiders head coach. The game against Kansas City mm-hmm. on a Sunday night football and also the game two weeks ago against the Bengals, this is a team that really has not found that home field advantage as of yet. Look, opening night was rocking when they came back on Monday night against Baltimore, but ever since, that home field advantage really has seemingly been non-existent, I think, for the Raiders. So that's why you're seeing this line not at three and at two and a half in the market. Surely this will probably be a tease-up situation with the WFT, Yes, but... Uh, you know, I, I'm not I'm not so sure yet. i, I got to see it to believe it with Washington because I don't know how much of it of a product is playing just certain teams at the right time. Played Carolina at the right time. Played a Seattle team that's obviously circling the drain and now going to 3-8. and eight. They're not mm. used to those seasons up there.
5: No, not at all. So again, we'll see if that line continues to move north here because obviously it'll be a short week for the Washington football team. You're coming east coast to west coast here with six days to prepare. So that'll be an interesting line move to, to navigate as the week goes. Let's flip the script here and talk about Seattle now. And they host the 49ers. All of a sudden, the resurgent 49ers uh, on Sunday. And this game opened up uh, Seattle still as the favorite at minus one and a half here. And I look at that and I go, you know this is going to shift. I just can't see a scenario here where this doesn't get bet up to San Francisco to money uh, throughout the week here. What'd you make of this? And you look at it opening it at one and a half and all the way now to three and a half for the Niners here. When do you start to say, all right, that money, that's too
4: much? The the, the line move is too much. Now I can back Seattle at
5: at a certain number.
4: Well, one and a half was the original look ahead. And then it did go down to pick because it's like, okay, Seattle is a home dog. One of the best home fields in all of the NFL at the 12th man up there in Seattle. And it got bet down because it usually would be like, okay, auto play on Seattle as a home dog. I don't care how they're playing. That's one of the better home field advantages, but you know, you look at the 49ers, too. It's kind of the same thing as last year. Mm-hmm. They have had injuries. Every team has injuries, but the 49ers have had more than their fair share. Look, uh, Debo Samuel uh, left huge. that game on Sunday Doesn't look against like he's Minnesota with a groin injury. Out indefinitely is how yep. he's listed. Mo Sanu, we know, is on IR. They did get Kittle back a couple weeks ago. Trey Sermon's going to be questionable. We know that they've been banged up at running back. Now, Elijah Mitchell was big on Sunday mm-hmm. for the 49ers, but you've had these injuries really all year for these guys. And uh, Seattle, Seattle, I think it might just be a lack of talent. We know Chris Carson on the IR, so they really weren't able to run the ball very well last night, Travis Homer. The other running back going to be questionable with the calf injury, Rashad Penny, mm-hmm. questionable with the hamstring injury. So really, there's just not a lot. I mean, you you force Russell Wilson to have to carry this team, and right now, he's just not right. He just can't really physically carry this team. Just to just to see those stats that were just oh. glaring. Last night, I told you Seattle maybe got a couple chunk plays, but to get 10 first downs, 4 of 12 on third down, you look at running the ball now. They weren't really behind a lot either. No. I mean, it was pretty it was much a one score game. game throughout. Twelve carries for thirty-four yards, Ooh. and actually one of the the reason why they got that many is because Russell Wilson did have a nice scramble in the second half. You're not seeing him run like he used to either. You know, you're seeing him try to rely and maybe force some plays in the passing game. Look, he forced that two-point conversion. Yes, obviously they got picked off, and and you know also through another or through I believe no, he didn't throw another interception, but he had he some near ones. Yes, he had some near ones, and look, three and a half that's still a little much for a 49er team that's injured. And look, this is not a team that's a good home favorite, even though they did finally get there for the first time this year under Kyle Shanahan. Now one and four is a home favorite in Santa Clara. If they're not that good of a home favorite, I don't know how good they're going to be on the road, even though they've probably been better on the road. They did cover against Chicago a couple weeks ago, Jacksonville two weeks ago. So... Now that this is north of three, I'd lean Seattle, Mm -hmm. but this might be a game I end up staying away altogether. All right, in the
5: next hour, we're going to do it a little, you know, buy now or buy later, and that might be a game that you would just wait on and see where that number goes to, possibly – very quickly, West. might that get to 4, four and a half? Because if so, that would interest me for it, Seattle it at that could, point. It
4: could, because, look, pe- bettors, I think, often bet what they see last, yes. especially in primetime games. And you had a Seattle team that looked pretty putrid last mm-hmm. night.
5: Again, next hour we'll have Rick Doc Walker joining us from Washington, D.C. to break down what he's seen from this Washington football team as they're back in the playoff picture. But when we come back... My goodness, who saw what was going to happen in college football? You know, we're not talking about Michigan Ohio State anymore. We're talking about the coaching carousel and how crazy it's gotten in college football. We'll break it all down see what it all means when you come back with us right here on the Lombardi Line on Visa, and the Sports Betting Network.
7: Those are the most obvious. But let's say you're like Bill Self and you can get it to where it looks good. His is magical. I don't even know if his is a toupee. It is. I think he went into the future and had a procedure we haven't even discovered yet. And this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio
6: or wherever you listen to podcasts.
5: It is football season, so it's time to download BetMGM Sports. It's Nevada's premier sports betting app. BetMGM has all of your favorite wagering options, along with in-game betting, boosted out specials, and much, much more. Download the BetMGM app today, or stop by any MGM casino on the Strip with your state-issued ID to open up an account and start placing sports bets from anywhere in Nevada. Whatever your sport, whatever your betting style, you're going to love BetMGM's state-of-the-art technology and fan-friendly specials every day of the week. Visit BetMGM for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years or older and physically located in Nevada. Please gamble responsibly if you have a problem, call one 800 4700 Back here alongside West Reynolds, I am Dave Ross. This is the Lombardi Line right here on VEASAN. And Wes, I got to tell you, I've been talking about it for the last 24 hours. When you look at the coaching changes around college football, it really did steal all the headlines from the games last week. Nobody's talking about Michigan, their big win over Ohio State, and how that's going to affect the college football playoff. We'll get into some of that stuff later on the show. But I just didn't see these names in Lincoln Riley leaving Oklahoma for USC, Brian Ryan Kelly uh, leaving Notre Dame, and that's the shock of all shockers, to go to LSU. Uh, Kaitlin DeBoer has left Fresno State. He's going to be Washington's new head man. And Brent Pry leaves Penn State. He goes to Virginia Tech. Let's start right at the top. Which one of these coaching changes do you think is going to have the biggest impact in college football?
4: Probably Riley, in terms of the immediacy. Because look, I think within probably about three years, you're going to see USC kind of in that top six to eight in the college football playoff again. Look at just look at Oklahoma's recruiting class, very Southern California based. Mm. Not so much to convince these guys. Hey, why don't you stay home around your family here? You know, we've got we've got this great offense, even though it hadn't been that great this year. Lincoln Riley. Is going to build something there. And I think this is the first coach USC has had in a while where it's like, okay, they're a proven winner at a major, he is a proven winner at a major program. Lincoln Riley has proved he can get it done at Oklahoma, at least getting to the college football playoff. And look, that's no small achievement. Only four teams get in it every year. And yeah, they run into the inevitable SEC foe, the Alabama or the Georgia of the world, that they just can't keep up with. The defense just can't get enough stops. But I think Lincoln Riley will make impact. And I also think Brian. Brian Kelly and I made a little joking tweet last night. Sometimes sarcasm doesn't translate Not as much on Twitter, but uh tweeted a little meme with, uh, you know, Kirby and Sabin and Lane and oh. all those guys in the SEC kind of waiting on Brian Kelly and that uh, that little meme from Parks and Rec where Aubrey Proza goes, welcome to the Terror Dome. <laughs> and, you know, it just, you know, but it's Brian the Kelly, cooking. I don't think, is going to get swallowed necessarily in the SEC. This is a guy that is the winningest coach of all time at Notre Dame and his made them relevant. I know Notre Dame hasn't won a title, so it's like, eh, Notre Dame, they're not that good. They're top five, top to ten every year. So, you know, he brought Notre Dame back to where – they really are at respectability and, you know, getting Marcus Freeman as the defensive coordinator, I think, help out their recruiting class. So, I don't buy this stuff at Notre Dame where it's like, oh God, they can't recruit because the academics are so stringent. B.S. Charlie Weiss had a top five recruiting class Mm -hmm. one year at Notre Dame, but Brian Kelly was finally the guy I think that stabilized it and made it relevant again.
5: Yeah, it's interesting because we have Matt Hayes on betting across America on Saturdays uh, here at VEASAN, and last year I was doing a show with Brett McMurphy and Matt Hayes, and we had Brian Kelly on the show and he had said then last year you know i just built a new house uh, right there at notre dame and could look down and look at at touchdown jesus didn't really think that he'd be going anywhere unless the fairy godmother showed up with the brinks truck and it looks like the the fairy fairy godmother godmother showed with that brinks truck so going down to lsu we'll wait obviously after the national championship when the odds come out to see who's going to be the favorites but i will tell you this those odds have already come down before they've ever been posted to win the Pac-12 next year, because I'm with you. I think Lincoln Riley can compete right away in the Pac-12 next year. Not mm-hmm. two years, three mm-hmm. years down the road. SC still has talent at skilled positions. They were not well coached this year at all. That's why Clay Hilton got fired. So I'd really watch out for SC in the short term to make a big, a big time well, come up in the Pac-12. Well, you know you have
4: one of the more fertile recruiting grounds in all of the country, right there in your backyard, Southern California. And if you've ever been to USC and seen some of their athletic facilities, well, really not on par, no. but at a USC, it doesn't really matter because you get all that talent and because of where your university is located, so yeah, he's gonna—he's not that far off. I don't think that Oregon has lapped the field, no. or Utah has lapped the field here in the Pac-12. So that's going to be a topsy-turvy conference. But, uh, but, but back to Brian Kelly. I think really quickly, you talked about—you know—the fairy godmother showed up. I wonder how many players showed up for that mm. 7 a.m. meeting uh, from that uh, little group text last night. It'd be like, okay, coach, I'll see you at seven o'clock sharp to tell me that you're leaving me. You know, he was actually, I believe, in an in-home visit, and some of his assistants were in in-home visits it, they, when this news broke. So it's like, how much of an idiot do you look like when you leave that player's home saying, "Hey, come to Notre Dame," and then you're probably not going to ever see him again?
5: It's absolutely amazing that this was kept under wraps, at least for the national media. We didn't hear a whole lot this, and then all of a sudden these major uh, bombs are dropped in college football. Very quickly, because uh, I look at Brent Pry and you mentioned he's got mm-hmm. some Virginia Tech ties as he goes back to Blacksburg, correct?
4: Yeah, he was a GA in, I think, the mid to late 90s under Bud Foster, who is the longtime mm-hmm. defensive coordinator, pretty much throughout Frank Beamer's whole tenure there in Blacksburg. So Virginia Tech goes with the defensive guy. Brent Pry was kind of rumored to be on the move. He's been one of those hot coordinators we always see the hot coordinators in the NFL. Well, they certainly exist in college. So Brent Pry has always been a guy that. You would think uh, is going to be on the move. He's only 51 years old. This will be his, uh, I believe, first head coaching job. Mm-hmm. He's been, uh, he's been at Virginia Tech. He's been, uh, you know, kind of worked his way up through those lower to mid majors: Louisiana Lafayette, Memphis, Georgia Southern. Was at Vanderbilt. Then followed James Franklin, obviously, to Penn State. Has been the defensive coordinator and the linebacker coach for essentially the better part of the last eight seasons. So Pry is a guy, and he's from Pennsylvania. He's not necessarily too far. And- they, he's recu- they recruit up he's there. He's recruited yeah. also that DMV area down in Virginia Tech. Mm-hmm. And I know you've talked about that before. You know that area well. That Justin Fuente really wasn't getting it done like Beamer did in terms of getting those kids from those areas, getting those kids from Virginia Beach yes. like Michael Vick and and those type of talents. So, uh, you know, Brent Pryor, this seems like a decent hire yeah. for Virginia Tech. And then uh, we, talk, I, we didn't really talk about Oklahoma here no. of who is going to be there. I got to think that the favorite is Brent Venables. And I think if you put odds on this, and I saw somebody, I think, put odds on this, like four to one. This is a guy that makes $2.5 million as defensive coordinator in Clemson. But you've won two national championships there. You've got a vice grip on recruiting pretty much in the Mm -hmm. ACC, even though the Tigers have had a down year in Death Valley. This has got to be the time, and this has got to be the job. Look, if you're Venables, you're not going to leave to coach in Conference USA. No. But Oklahoma, you bet.
5: Yeah, absolutely. I'm right there with you. I'd love to hire there in Virginia Tech. And now I can tell all my family and friends back home that that Wes Reynolds likes this move here of getting Brent Pry there. But to your point about the recruiting there, uh, back in the day, that's when Frank Beamer was really running things at Virginia Tech. They were recruiting uh, the Tidewater area, the 757s, Mm -hmm. to get the Michael Vicks. But they also went into Pennsylvania and got guys like Kevin Jones, who was the national running back uh, of the year in high school, in the state of Pennsylvania. So that's the trick for schools like Virginia Tech. Can you recruit – Uh, To the north and also down to the south in the 757.
4: And recruiting on that east coast, whether it's in the northeast or all the way down to the DMV area, look, there aren't a lot of power programs anymore on the East Coast. This is not the old days where Syracuse really had it rolling, no. and you had a lot more East Coast-based programs. So you can get talent in that area. And, look, other schools from all over the country are coming into those areas to get those talents. So uh, see if Brent and Brian Company can get them and stay home.
5: Okay, and I also, very quickly, in the Brian Kelly point here, because he did say that, like, he, he just wanted to, he, was the pressure of coaching at Notre Dame, he felt like that that was a constant pressure. He, he excelled. Mm-hmm. I think he's the winningest coach in the history of Notre Dame football. But does he really think LSU is going to be less pressure? Yeah. I don't see how that correlates.
4: Yeah, we need to hook him up with our buddy Jimmy Ott down there mm-hmm. at ESPN Baton Rouge, whose uh, father played, I think, on that 1958 national championship team down there. So uh, we need to uh, get them together and say, yeah, yeah coach, you're uh, you're getting into a pressure cooker down here. Uh, we like to win football games. Look, we've had a couple national championship coaches, obviously not the X's and O's guys that use are. you." are, but that won national titles here, and they got run out of town very shortly. So uh, how is uh, Brian Kelly? He's got to start practicing the uh, the Ed Orgeron. Go Doggers. He's got to start practicing that,
5: though. Very quickly, we know tomorrow, obviously, the college football playoff rankings will come out. Okay? We know Michigan, obviously, is going to be in. With this news, with Notre Dame now now not having a head coach, mm-hmm. as we talk right now, I assume, does that affect the committee? Going Because Notre Dame was this, the school that they're saying, well, there might be a scenario where Cincinnati and Notre Dame can get in the college football playoff. Say Alabama lost in the Iron Bowl, which they came oh so close to losing to, to Auburn. Yeah. Does that affect Notre Dame, do you think, come tomorrow night?
4: It shouldn't. I, I wonder if it will, though, because it's, if it's going to be that NCAA tournament factor. Remember when uh, University of Cincinnati was the number one seed yes. and they were the number one team in the country? And then Kenyon Martin got hurt in the conference tournament? And they and then held like, against them. Well, well, this is a much different team without Kenyon. Martin. So it really shouldn't if they really go, I think, by their computer rankings. Uh, and I expect those playoff rankings to be Georgia 1, Michigan 2, Alabama 3, Cincinnati 4, Notre Dame right on the outside looking in. That's what's so wild. is like they're right there for the playoff. Notre Dame probably 5, Oklahoma State 6.
5: And not a surprise, but Brian Kelly will not coach Notre Dame if no. they make it into the college football playoff. So whoever that is, it will not be Brian Kelly going forward at Notre Dame. Very interesting coaching carousel in the world of college football. And by the way, there will be some pro football tentacles to come out of this before this is all said and done. When we come back, let's talk some college basketball and uh uh-oh, Wes, you and I are going head-to-head. We'll break down Indiana and Syracuse. Can't wait to discuss. Come on back. It's the Lombardi Line right here on v the Sports Betting Network. The VEASAN holiday offer is here. Right now, when you sign up for our $99 mid-season football special, you're also going to receive a $20 credit to the VEASAN store. Get all of our expert sports betting analysis, insights, and data for the rest of the football season, plus $20 to buy VEASAN sports betting hats, shirts, mugs, and other great gear. Hurry up. This is a limited-time offer, so sign up now for the perfect sports betting holiday gift at VEASAN.com slash subscribe. Dave Ross, alongside Wes Reynolds. This is the Lombardi line right here on VEASAN. And Wes, as you know, I do not make it have habit to go against you in our picks, because normally I lose. But our two schools, your alma mater and the school where my heart is, that would be the Syracuse Orangemen, or Orange these days, because I grew up in upstate New York, they're going head-to-head tonight, and when you have a challenge like this and you look at the ACC against the Big Ten Challenge, Indiana right now, three-point favorites against the Qs here with a pregame total around 147, taking all of your heart out of it. How do you break this thing down with your head?
4: Yeah, some great and some painful memories in this uh, <laughs> kind of understated you between Indiana and Syracuse. We'll always have 87 yeah. in Bloomington, of course, but we won't have uh, those several years ago where Indiana was the number one seed and never seen a 2-3 zone before and mm-hmm. uh, got knocked out that in thinking? the Sweet 16. By the way, he's only been running that for about 40 years. So, <laughs> so uh, Mike Woodson, if you're listening, he's going to run a 2-3 zone, and look... Uh, When I saw of Indiana's offense, by the way, Indiana currently undefeated, really haven't played a lot of great opponents, really only played one kind of okay team in St. John's, and look, they got out to a big lead. St. John's made a run, though. Indiana was able to hold on, but the zone offense I watched against Jackson State, you know, kind of looked a little hinky, and look, this is a new offense, a new defense, new coaching staff, and some several new players on this roster, but... Syracuse's zone, they they don't really look that particularly athletic Mm -hmm. and we know what that zone is designed to do. It's going to give up three-point shots and offensive rebounds, but it's designed to get and clog those passing lanes and force a lot of turnovers. That's something where Indiana has really struggled with. They're averaging about 15 a game and look, Woody, Mike Woodson, the head coach of Indiana said if they get over 12, they're running. So they've been running a little bit in practice because they're 257th in the country with 15.3 per game. The two-point D is ranked number one, but consider the opposition. They've played Jackson State, Northern Illinois, Eastern Michigan. They have not exactly played a murderer's row. Meanwhile, Syracuse is three and three. Of course, they gave up 100 to Colgate Colgate in the Carrier Dome. And they also went one and two down in the Bahamas at the Battle of Atlantis. So. That's why you're seeing this get bet, because I think in the overnight, I believe Syracuse was like a one-point favorite. Mm -hmm. Now you're starting to see some threes there. It's mostly two and a half. If this continues to go up and I can get three... I actually lean with the orange, and I'll probably bet it accordingly because I think maybe this is a buy-low spot because this is a bigger challenge for Indiana. Even though you have an orange team that's struggling, this is a bigger challenge. It's your first road game under a new regime. It's a team that kind of looks like they're a little bit wounded, mm-hmm. three and three to start the season. But you know they got guys that are shot makers, including Buddy Bayheim So at three, I'd be interested in the orange. I'll say this from a historical connotation, okay? I will gladly trade you the game that I
5: was at for the Sweet 16 when when Indiana was the one seed, Mm -hmm. and Michael Carter-Williams and Syracuse made that great run to the Final Four. Mm -hmm. President Barack Obama was right over my shoulder watching the game from a better spot than I was, but it was just kind of cool watching that for 1987, for the Keith Smart jump shot. We'll trade mm-hmm. you those two outcomes there, and I think the Syracuse fan base will be a lot happier. Plus, I didn't go to school after Keith Smart hit that jumper, and they said over the loudspeaker when I came back, we're glad that Dave Ross has recovered from a Syracuse itis <laughs> and get smart. That's what they said. So, Indiana has always been a, a, a kind of a thorn in the side of Syracuse backers. How about Minnesota and Pittsburgh in this one as we keep going down the slate here in this challenge? Minnesota right now, two and a half point favorites, pregame total, low one at 120
4: these are two massive rebuilds, but the early rebuild has gone better for Minnesota. If you look, they replaced 96% of their scoring. Like, literally, I think they had almost an entire new roster. I believe Minnesota had one returning player mm. from that program. Of course, Richard Pitino was uh, fired and now mm-hmm. in New Mexico. So Ben Johnson, Xavier assistant, comes in, and I think Ben will get it turned around. Ben's pretty well-connected in months, those recruiting circles. He actually started in the grad- slash AAU, whatever you want to call it. Uh, that's where essentially he has started. A uh, couple transfers really leading Minnesota right now. Jamison Battle, who comes in from George Washington. Also Peyton Willis, who's come in from Charleston. Battle averaging about 18 a game. Willis about 16 and a half. The three-point defense has been pretty good, only allowing about 21%. And Pittsburgh, look, uh, a, a massive rebuild for them. Xavier Johnson, actually, he was now at in Indiana, transferred out of there. They had a couple other guys. Uh, Champagne transferred out. So... Pittsburgh also had some injury concerns early in the season. Nike Sabande from Indianapolis tore his ACL. Ethel Horton is suspended. So, I said Minnesota is replacing 96% of their scoring from last year. Pittsburgh is replacing about 88% of their scoring. So, look, these are two teams that are going to, I think, really finish at the bottom of their conference standings. You know, Minnesota, I think, should be last, even though they have started out pretty solid so far this year, undefeated, did beat Western Kentucky beat Princeton. I think they played that tournament. Where was that? It was somewhere down in Asheville, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. So they've beaten at least a couple teams with pulses. Meanwhile, Pittsburgh has not. If you really look, they've lost two home games already. They lost to the Citadel, and they lost to UMBC. These are both teams kind of in those Ken Palm nice. rankings at about 200. Oh, boy. So Pittsburgh 2-4 and four under Jeff Capel, uh, I mean, it, it, it would be tough for me to lay a rebuilding team like Minnesota on the road, that would probably be where where I would lean. But uh, really, kind of lo- looking at the at this side here, I'd, I'd I'd actually lean a little bit to the under on the total at about one twenty eight and a half. But this is likely a game I stay away from.
5: Yeah, I would probably stay away for uh, likely reasons that you just laid out. Just kind of ugly basketball is what we're expecting. That's why that total is there at one twenty eight. When you look at Florida State against Purdue, okay? And obviously Purdue looks like arguably one of the best basketball teams potentially in the country, okay? For the State, it feels like Leonard Hamilton, he just rolls out guys that are mm-hmm. they're long, athletic, can run. He has typical teams there. But maybe not this year, and that's why you're seeing this number here so big at 11.5 for the Boilers and a high total there of 142. Is this a runout scenario today for Purdue?
4: I think it very well could be. And, look, it's always – dangerous to lay this kind of number to Florida state, who like you mentioned Leonard Hamilton, oh. I mean, they come off the bus. They look like, has anybody beat these guys? Right. Cause they're so athletic and they're so long, but this is a Purdue team too, that by the way, is averaging 92 points a game. They are number two in the AP bowl. Uh, I remember talking about that on Friday night on the nightcap with Jeff Barrels. I was like, okay, Duke is going to go to number one here because they beat number one right out here at T-Mobile arena and Gonzaga. Purdue, it is so hard to believe. They have never been number one in the history of the program in the AP media poll. And they're number two. So I know Matt Painter will no-sell it publicly, but he's probably like – yeah, you know, those you know what? I mean, <laughs> they, they don't give us credit. We're going to go out and show and just beat the heck out of another good team. And this is a Purdue team, by the way, that had gotten down in the second half to Villanova. that had gotten down in North Carolina and just blitzed them offensively. And the rebounding is good. They're, they're 11th. Uh, they're plus 17, by the way, in rebound margin. And when you have a twin towers like Zach Eady, Travion Williams, this is a team also shooting a little bit less than 54% from the floor. It's a tough spot for Florida State anyway, but it's also going to be a really tough spot for them because they're down some personnel. Still got some depth, but maybe not as much depth as Leonard Hamilton would want here. Uh, the uh, kid Evans, who is really their leading returner, Wayquan Evans, he is going to miss uh, this game. They've also got a couple depth guys that are going to miss this game off the bench. So that's why you're seeing this number. And look... With Florida State, Evans being out, he's their best overall defender, and he's really the primary ball handler for a team that does turn the ball over. Even though Purdue and that man-to-man, they're not really forcing a lot of turnovers. They just pretty much stay disciplined man-to-man. They don't gamble for steals. Uh, You know, Florida State is long and versatile, and you would think that that would give this Purdue team problems, but I don't think that it's going to do. Biggest concern for me would be defensively for Purdue, and you've got a lot of long wings for Florida State that I think are going to be able to score on this team. So, when I'm looking at this, it's gone down a little bit. I don't agree with this move to the under. I would actually lean to the over, and more than likely will lean to laying the 11, albeit a big number with the Boilermakers.
5: You know, as we get closer to January, obviously, we'll be talking a lot more college basketball here, but you look up, and right now, Purdue is the third-shortest favorite to cut down the nets mm-hmm. and win it all. Right now, about plus 1,000.
4: Yeah, you I got my 25-1 to one from the spring, and look, I've said it. I think they're the best team in the country. I think they can absolutely win the bundle. I know Gonzalez a little bit more talented. Look, you still got to throw Duke in there, Kansas. There's some very good teams there in Purdue. You know, until they do it, it's like they can't do it. But I think that this is as good of a team in the country. They return everybody back. They're very well coached, coached. Now they're scoring so many points. You know Purdue, their mantra is defense lives here. It's all over their practice uh, paraphernalia and gear and whatnot. But the fact that this team can score and the fact that they have a guard in Jaden Ivey that can score out of the structure of the offense. Matt Painter usually likes his point guard to be a distributor, run the offense, and play good defense. But he's got a guy now in Ivy that can go one-on-one. This is a very good Boilermaker team, one of the best that Matt Painter's ever had.
5: You scooped him up at 25-to-1. That's what we call value right there. When we come back, Will Hill is going to join us to break down everything in college football, big game on Saturday, of course, and the NFL slate. Come on back. It's the Lombardi Line right here on VEASAN, the sports Betting Network. I him- MGM, the king of sportsbooks, welcomes you with a special offer on college basketball. Simply place a $10 money-on-wager on any game and if either team hits a three-pointer in the game, you're going to win 200 bucks in free bets regardless of your bet's outcome. Just use the bonus code VESIN200 when you make your very first wager and enjoy college hoops like never before with BetMGM all season long. Download the app or go to BetMGM.com. Use the bonus code VESIN200 to win $200 in free bets if a three-pointer is made in the game you wager on. Eligible restrictions do apply. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued is non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire in seven days from issuance. Please gamble responsibly. If you have a problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Mississippi or Nevada. Dave Ross alongside West Reynolds. This is the Lombardi Line right here on VEASAN. It is always a pleasure to have our contributor from Point Spread Weekly right here at VEASAN. He is Will Hill And, Will, let's talk some college football to begin this discussion today. Wes and I were talking on Saturday on Betting Across America about Georgia and Alabama and where this line would be. It opened up around three, and we didn't think it would get to seven. But, oh, my goodness, you look up, and this game is getting very, very close to that. What is your take on the SEC title game here between Georgia and Roll Tide?
6: Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Before we get to that game, I just want to clear up some rumors. I am going to be staying with Vison. I have no interest in the Notre Dame job. I'm here to help <laughs> you guys win games, so I just wanted to clear that up. Are you sure? Uh, unless Notre Dame offers me more money, then I'll be gone. <laughs> but uh, I like Bam. I like Georgia here. I don't know how how Bama blocks Georgia. Uh, they couldn't block Auburn. They were extremely lucky, as we know, to get away with a win there. Uh, to me, Georgia owes them one. They probably owe them two from you know the, the 2017 title game the conference title game a year later. To me, this is Georgia, I don't know, 24-10, 27-13. I think Georgia wins the game. I think they win it pretty comfortably. This does
4: worry me a little bit. And look, uh, Georgia was my national title pick. I have no reason to change really right now considering what they've done, even though they don't really have that like marquee win. It's just the eyeball test. It looks like they're the best team in the country. Mm -hmm. And I even noticed that when we were watching the Iron Bowl on Saturday, Dave, I was like, Georgia's defensive line's got to be licking their chops against this Alabama offensive line. But we are now getting to a point where it's like, you know what, maybe this is kind of like an NCAA tournament scenario. Right. Where you have a team that's very high-seeded, that gets a scare, like in the first or the second round, and it's like, okay, they look vulnerable here. And then the next game, they run out an opponent. Not that I think that that's necessarily going to happen here, but we're getting to a point here with Alabama, and I know a lot of our college football contributors, the the Matt Hayeses and and Michael Felders mm-hmm. that join us on Betting Across America on Saturday, is like. Alabama's gotta have a little running package, you know, for Bryce Young yes. because we really haven't seen him run as much as we thought. So maybe that's what you're gonna have to do against this Georgia defensive line to really keep them off balance. At this number, it's at six and a half, pretty much market wide. I believe where we're sitting here at South Point, it's the only seven in the market.
5: It's amazing that you could possibly get Alabama plus seven, Will. But very quickly, gentlemen, we just throw this out there. Will, if your game script holds, and let's say Georgia does win by two touchdowns, is Alabama out of the college football
6: playoff yeah they'll be out i think it gets pretty clear as long as form holds i think it'll be some order of georgia and michigan then either oklahoma and cincinnati or cincinnati then oklahoma state i'm sorry oklahoma state so i, I think georgia won michigan two uh and, and maybe either cincinnati three oklahoma state four or vice versa but i think that's what we're looking at here if form holds what would have been interesting would have been If Bama lost last week and then beat Georgia this week, they'd be a two-loss team, but they'd be an SEC conference champ. Then it might have gotten interesting, but I think with two losses here, they'll be out.
4: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see where the committee uh, plots those teams right outside the top four. I think it's going to be Notre Dame 5 and Oklahoma State 6, but obviously Notre Dame, no game, out of sight, out of mind. Oklahoma State does have a quality opponent in Baylor in that Big 12 championship game Saturday morning.
5: I can't wait to see how that all unfolds uh, this week. Let's talk some NFL here, Will, and again, when you look at uh, the Colts against the Texans, the Colts coming off that heartbreaker last week against Tampa Bay, certainly if you had the Colts plus three, you're like, just— just tackle one Fournette and kick the field goal will take the push. Now you go up against a, a Texans team, with, let's just call it what it is. They're awful, and the JTS, Jets, 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 got to win against them. How do you handicap this one, Will?
6: Yeah, to me, this line's a little short. Uh, when I'm laying a number like this, first of all, I don't like laying it, especially on the road, but I'm looking for a team, obviously, that's A, better, but I'm looking for a team that's motivated, and I think the Colts will be motivated. You know, they're 6-6. Six and six. They still have, you know, they can't afford to slip up to lose a game, but they have everything they want in front of them. Uh, obviously to make the playoffs. And, look, they beat them 31-3 to in Indy. Now, I know this game is in Houston, but look how much home field advantage are we really giving Houston. This is a dead team, going to be a dead crowd. I mean, they couldn't they, – they, the Jets 14-3. to This is a Jets team that was dead last in the league in terms of yards per play on defense. And the Texans, for the second week in a row, averaged under four yards per play on offense. This is just uh, an inept offense for the Texans. They're not good on defense. They're slow on defense. To me, this is a Colts win and a comfortable win. I think this line's a little short. Yeah, I
4: absolutely could not bet Houston here. It would be the Colts or nothing. And uh, look, Frank Reich might might have a, a little fire a little bit because I think there's been some critics of like, hey, run the ball a little bit, Frank, when you finally <laughs> ran the ball in the fourth quarter. But look, Tampa Bay is not easy to run against, no. to be fair. So I don't think Frank Reich necessarily called a bad game. I just think the Colts didn't make the plays. And when you don't put teams away, that's been three games the Colts, by the way, really should have won that Baltimore game, Tennessee. that Tennessee game, and that game, all of a sudden you win three of those or all three of those games or even two of the three you're eight and four you're right up there for battling for number one in the AFC so I'm not against Will here necessarily but Will let's go to Thursday night football we have the Dallas Cowboys and the New Orleans Saints and uh, look New Orleans kind of been a little bit of the walking wounded especially in the backfield with Alvin Kamara he missed Thanksgiving night and Dallas has been hurt at receiver and also on defense uh, this open five on the look ahead got all the way to six but started to see some new orleans money down to about four and a half here bet mgm also some fives out there
6: yeah i like dallas here now obviously we wish we wish uh mike mccarthy all the best and hopefully he recovers from covid but to me in terms of the line i think this actually might help dallas you know we, we know mccarthy can struggle with clock management game management uh kellen moore might give them a different look here as head coach And I just don't think the Saints can score enough. Like you mentioned, they're just wounded all over the place. Now, maybe they get Kamara back, but they can't challenge the Cowboys secondary with multiple receivers like the Raiders have, like some of these other teams have. To me, Dallas, they'll get Lamb back, it looks like. They'll get Cooper back. To me, they're going to get in the high 20s against pretty much anybody, and I just don't see the Saints keeping up. I know Taysom Hill maybe give them a different look at quarterback, but to me, the Cowboys win this game by a touchdown. All right,
5: again, uh, Dan Quinn will be the interim head coach. And, Will, I think they did that by design because you're right. Kellen Moore is really the de facto head coach. But the, with Mike McCarthy out, I don't think they want to officially name that to see what it looks like as Kellen Moore as head coach because that could be an actual scenario either for another team out there next year mm-hmm. or the Dallas Cowboys. He's going to get an audition right. on
4: Thursday night. So, they,
5: so they're going to make Dan Quinn. They're going to call him the the uh, de facto head coach. But really it is Kellen Moore. Let's talk about the Jets' and the Eagles here, and against the, the Jets go on the road, get that win at Houston. Uh, now they come back and take on the Eagles. Eagles, not good memories. Last week in the Meadowlands, they're going to stay right there and play another one right there, but a different team from New York this time. Will, how do you break down this one?
6: You know, we've talked about the Eagles and how these syndicates really love betting them. That's mostly as an underdog. I don't like the Eagles as a favorite. To me, Hurts is not a polished passer. We saw that the other day. I um, mean, threw three interceptions, could have easily thrown four or five really was under 100 yards the whole game until very late. Now, I know he got a couple of drops late, but he did not throw the ball well, only completed 14 passes. Uh, To me, this is Jets. I think the Jets can hang with them physically. I think they can slow down the running game. To me, this is an ugly game. I'm not opposed to an under, but I just think this is a lot of points. I'm not a fan of the Eagles here in the role as a favorite, so I like the Jets. And Will, by the
4: way, did that Eagles game for us on Sunday on the mm-hmm. green zone as our correspondent, so he got a close look at this team. I think we were both on the Giants. Uh, one of the few winners, personally, yes. for me on Sunday. This oh, was not my too. best uh, week 12, but look, the Eagles is a favorite. It's just like, are they ready for that role? And you, when you get a team that's usually an underdog or like a small home favorite, like the Eagles were against New Orleans, that first time in that role where they're laying as a road favorite, they can come up lame, and they absolutely did. This I believe did open seven pretty much market-wide, starting to see some six and a half. So Jets getting some support. Zach Wilson worked through that rust a little bit. They were able to hang on for a victory. Yeah, I definitely don't like the Eagles as a road favorite.
5: Yeah, it's interesting because you know, they were starting to anoint Jalen Hurts as the next guy there in Philadelphia, Will, and then he really laid that egg against Danny Dimes and company. Uh, very quickly, how's the New York City cast coming? I loved what I listened to when I heard it on Vison.
6: It's going well. How is it? Did you get any sleep, Dave? Are you excited? I mean, were you up all night partying? What? Does he smell like alcohol? I mean, I know he's got Max Scherzer. He's got Escobar. I mean, this is a new guy. <laughs> and apparently, the Mets aren't done. They're going to get another pitcher, another hitter. Oh,
5: Congratulations. And that's why I'm going to be back in the Mets, and I know you did, too, for the futures market there to win the World Series next year. Yeah, you got to believe, baby. All right, Will, it's always great to have you on. Follow him on, on Twitter, as we do, at NotTheWillHill. Will, we'll catch up again soon. Thanks for the time and the information.
4: See you. Man, you were out there partying with
5: Daryl and with Doc and Bobby O and all the boys. It's 1986 all over again. (laughs) Cannot wait for baseball season. When we come back, bet now or bet later. We'll give you some games that maybe you want to go ahead and bang that button now or hold until we get closer to kickoff. Come on back. It's the Lombardi Line right here on Visa the Sports Betting Network.